Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of God, Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. Whose streets are streets? Whose streets are streets? Whose streets are streets? Whose streets are streets? seen these images in the news and they continue to reverberate in the American conscience this uh, ugliness here erupted in a town that I love Charlottesville Virginia and I assure you it was quite shocking to see people marching through the lawn uh, the very place where I asked my lovely wife to marry me there's a tension uh, that some of us thought I thought this was over why are we experiencing it right now but the reality is it's always been there and it will always be there it's the question that we ask each other how are we to get right with one another how can we get on the same page there's so much misunderstanding and it boils over into hate and it simmers just beneath the surface often the pundits have been discussing it on CNN and Fox News What's gone wrong? What things we can fix in order to solve these problems? Um, but we're a little bit wiser than that, hopefully, in the church. We realize that the problems that are, uh, we are encountering as mankind cannot be solved by mankind. Because what is needed is a deeper reconciliation. A reconciliation of the heart. I want to suggest to you that there is no way that we can be right with each other until we're right with ourselves. And there's no way that we can be right with ourselves until we're right with God. 
And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how can we be right with God? That's the wonder and beauty of this passage. Because we hear these wonderful news, that the, uh, this news that in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting man's sins against Him. And we hear the news that we, therefore, are God's ambassadors that He's sending into the world, as though God was making His appeal through us. We need to unpack and understand this. We of all people should understand what's going on in the world. If we don't understand, how can we speak? How can we go? If we don't understand what God has done, how God is loved, how can we love? And so that's what we're going to examine. The reality and truth that I want to present is that it's only when we are reconciled to God that we can bring true reconciliation into the world. Well, Let's take a look at some points. Number one, we've got to figure out why the world can't have reconciliation with one another. What really is the cause and root? Number two, we need to examine how Christ has brought reconciliation into the world. And then finally, number three, we need to examine and understand how Christ is calling us to bring reconciliation into the world. Well, let's take a look at the first point. The problem, if you will. Relationships that are unreconciled. This, a lot of this we see, it's a question of racial reconciliation. That's sort of the buzzword out there. But there are all types of alienation in relationships, aren't there? You may have never experienced racial uh, 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 unreconciliation. I would suggest that you have. Many of us, if you've gone through a neighborhood where you don't belong perhaps, where you feel uncomfortable, you don't look like everyone else. Maybe your last name isn't like everybody else's. And you're wondering and feeling, do I belong here? There's a, there's a tension. You're wondering, how am I supposed to act? But we've experienced this on an individual level, haven't we? There's alienation in relationships all over the place. Maybe with a wife or a husband or an ex-wife or husband. It's so uh, in many ways sad and difficult. You know, I'm in the process, you know, I'm in the marrying business of seeing this couple walk down and give their vows to one another. How did they get from here to there? Maybe you have or um, uh, are experiencing alienation in relationships with your children. Maybe with a friend who was once a close friend and now is estranged from you. There's unreconciliation. Relationships are either in reconciliation or in unreconciliation with one another. So why would we think it would be different with God? We may not think about it this way, but the reality is God is personal, isn't He? He's tri-personal. The God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because God has a personality, because He is personal, there are things that God loves. And there are things that God hates. God can be known. In fact, God wants to be known. And so the reality is we can be in a reconciled relationship with God or an unreconciled relationship with God. The core of the problem, if you look at it and kind of boil it down, in the issues of unreconciled relationship is all too often this. A desire to have your own way. 
When I look by and large in my problem with relationships, it's this, that I want to have my own way. And they won't let me. Often because they want to have their own way. It's the same issue with God, isn't it? We see here that God has come to free us. Verse 15, And He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who their sake died and was raised. What is this telling us? It's telling us that there is an inward desire in our hearts to live for ourselves. But the reality of the earth is it doesn't belong to us, does it? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof because He established it upon the waters. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. When we examine our hearts, we, may exam- we, we will find this, that we are wired to worship. If you don't believe it, watch football uh, later today. We are a worshiping people. We have to worship someone. I remember the story that Jesus told. If you remember when uh, uh, somebody brought a coin to Jesus and uh, they said, who are we supposed to pay? Uh, are we supposed to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They were actually trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus said, show me the coin. Whose name and whose inscription are on it? They said, Caesar's. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. But you know, Jesus could have continued that parable. Everybody would have understood. Because people could have come and said, and who am I to worship? And Jesus would have said, bring me yourself and show me. Whose image and inscription are on you? God's. Give to God what is God's. We are made in the image of God's. And we belong to Him. But the problem is our desire is to live for ourselves. It started in the garden, didn't it? With Adam and Eve. When they were given instructions. And yet they chose their own way. From then on, it's been the problems that we see in the world. I think of the great philosopher uh, band, Tears for Fears, that came out with a great song, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I learned a little bit about this song from uh, the Clint Smith, who's the bassist, and he said the concept is quite serious. It's about everybody wanting power and about warfare and the misery that it causes. Here are some of the lyrics, by the way. Welcome to your life. There's no turning back. Even while we sleep, we will find you acting on your best behavior, turning your back on Mother Nature. Everybody wants to rule the world. It's my own desire. It's my own remorse. Help me to decide. Help me make the most of freedom and of pleasure. Nothing ever lasts forever. Everybody wants to rule the world. There's a room where the light won't find you, holding hands while the walls come tumbling down, and when they do, I'll be right behind you. So glad we almost made it, so sad they had to fade it. Everybody wants to rule the world. The greatest command that God gave to us was to love Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, like it, to love those around us as we love ourselves. 
So I ask you the question. We have to make three, four hundred decisions in a day. How many of those for you and for me are motivated by the love of God? With Him first and foremost in our hearts. God calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Think of all of the decisions we make. How many are motivated by the love of our neighbor? When you pick up a pack of pictures, who's the first one you look for in it? We are self-focused. And decisions have consequences, don't they? We see in verse 18 that God, through Christ, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Now, if trespasses are counted, then there is an account, isn't there? And whenever there is an account, there will be an accounting. See, each of us have a ledger sheet. And based on trespasses, if I'm reading the scriptures correct, there's a lot, a lot of red ink on it. Well, not me, Carlos. Not my ledger sheet. When I look at mine and then I look at his, my ledger sheet looks pretty good. Well, the problem is God doesn't compare your ledger sheet to his or hers. He compares it to his son's. What do we do when we have a lot of red ink on our ledger sheet? The solution of the world was simple. We've got to kill God. If we kill God, there will be no accounting. And so this began really in earnest with the existential philosophy movement in the 18th century. It was Frederick Nietzsche who wrote the parable of the madman in 1888. Have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours, ran to the marketplace and cried incessantly, I seek God, I seek God. As many of those who did not believe in God were standing around just then, he provoked much laughter. Has he got lost? asked one. Did he lose his way like a child? asked another. Or is he hiding? Has he gone on a voyage or emigrated? Thus they yelled and laughed. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God? he cried. I will tell you. We have killed him, you and I. All of us are his murderers. But how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? Are we not strained as through an infinite nothing? Has it not become colder? Is not night continually closing in on us? Do we hear nothing as yet of the noise of the grave diggers who are burying God? God is dead. God remains dead and we have killed him. And how shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What ha was holiest and mightiest of all the world has yet owned, has bled to death under our knives, and who will wipe this blood off of us? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves become gods simply to appear worthy of it? Here the madman fell silent and looked again at his listeners. And they were silent and stared at him in astonishment. At last he threw his lantern on the ground and it broke to pieces and went out. I've come too early, he said. My time is not yet. Lightning and thunder require time. 
The light of the stars require time. Deeds, though done, still require time to be seen and heard. This deed is still more distant from them than most distant stars, and yet they have done it themselves. It was Nietzsche who spent the last 15 years of his life insane, who said and predicted accurately that the 20th century would be the bloodiest century ever. And he was right. For in war and struggle and bloodshed, more people were killed in the 20th century than the first 19 combined. When there is no God, there is only preference. Have you noticed something about our world? There is no such thing as right or wrong anymore, is there? There's only right and left. And right is if you agree with me. Otherwise, you are wrong. That's why the left says that the right is wrong and the right says that the left is wrong. So we don't know our right or our left, do we? That's a joke, people. Loosen up. <laughs> we must recognize the truth. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. So where do you look for the problem? What's well, them? It's my spouse. It's that political party. It's that philosophy. I'm sad to say the problem is me. I have not loved God and I have not loved my neighbor as myself. So we must not walk out of here without recognizing and acknowledging the truth that we were made to live for another. You will not hear that message out in the world. We were made to live for God. But I cannot fix myself to do so. If I am the problem, I surely am not the solution. I have to look outside myself. But thank goodness for the solution. This is my second point. Paul brings the message, isn't he? Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Is Paul being motified, uh, motivated by fear? No, for he says, it is the love of Christ that controls us. He's speaking of fear in terms of awe of what Jesus Christ has done. Because, Paul says, we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. One has died for all, and therefore all have died. What is he saying? Well, one has died for all. We can figure that one out. It's Jesus Christ. Therefore, all have died. Who is this all? We see it's not everybody. Because later he says those who live, that those who live would no longer live for themselves. Those who live, there's some sort of dying that's gone on for a certain group of people that they might live. Verse 18 explains it. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. The word reconcile comes from the Latin word reconciliare, to bring together again, to unite in feelings, to make friendly again. Why did Christ come? To reconcile God to man by not counting man's trespasses against them. 
He has in effect wiped the ledger clean of those who live again. He goes on, for our sake, he made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, the amazing thing about Jesus is that he is the exact antithesis of man, isn't he? When you think of the first man, Adam, and you think of the rest of man, and we think of these videos, we're living for ourselves, and yet Jesus lived for others, didn't he? First, he lived for the Father. The greatest command to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Was it not Jesus who said, I always do what pleases the Father? Philippians 2.6, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of the servant. And who cannot but picture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, speaking to his Father, Father, I don't want to go through this. And if there is another way, please. But not as I will, but for your pleasure. Jesus loved the Father. And Jesus loved those around him. The leper, the outcast, the adulterer, the mother who lost his son, the forgotten, the lonely, the rich, the poor. If you look in the scriptures and the gospels, it's quite amazing how Jesus just went around doing good to people. He just loved people. For when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. For they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is the antithesis of man, and yet was a man who came into the world. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. Notice it didn't say to be made a sinner, but rather to be made sin itself. The very object of wrath Jesus was made into on that cross. Verse 25, excuse me, Romans 3.25 God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Jesus Christ experienced the wrath of God for He became sin so that in Him in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died that we could be approved and celebrated by God based on His record and not our own. When were you and I saved? It was when I walked down the aisle at that church meeting. It was when I was on the dock at Saranac when I was a freshman in high school. Oh, you were saved at the cross. When your sins, if you are a believer, were put upon Him and your ledger was wiped clean. It was when you came to faith in Christ that all that had been prepared for you was brought to its fruition. And the result of that is a changed heart. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I didn't grow up in the church. I became a believer when I was 18 years old. 
some friends of mine invited me to a Bible study at Young Life. And I was a bit dismissive of the church, truth be told. But it only took until the second uh, Bible campaigners meeting. And at the very end they had this practice and they would have everyone uh, hold hands. And if you wanted to pray something, you would pray it. I've never done that before, so I was holding hands. And I happened to be like the last person. And as they began to pray, and it went around, something moved in my heart and my spirit. Christ came into my life in an unbelievable way. And I can remember distinctly the feeling of having the weight of sin taken off of my back. It was like somebody took a backpack that I didn't even know existed that was 200 pounds and lifted it off my back. I didn't know everything about Jesus Christ, but I knew he was right. And what I experienced in that basement, that time, for the first time in my life, was true freedom. My life has never been the same. And I forget often what Christ has done and what Christ is doing. As I continue to make mistakes and continue to sin. And the world tells me that the numbers are adding up. But the reality is my ledger is clean. Jesus died not only for the sins I committed, the sins I am committing, and the sins I will commit. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for me. So that in him I might become the righteousness of God. Do you know the freedom of your sins being washed away? Oh, sin is so passe. There's no such thing. Oh, yes, there is. I get to spend a lot of time with people. Get to spend a lot of time with little babies and also with old people. And I'd classify old people into two categories. Soft and pliable or hard and bitter. The hard and bitter ones, what I discover is there's a lot of unforgiveness with other people. They can't forgive them. And the reason they can't forgive them is they can't forgive themselves. Because you can't forgive yourself. Your judge is not the world. Your judge is not even you. It's the one who made you. So don't leave this building, I implore you, without surrendering your life to Him. Without experiencing the freedom that comes with knowing that you're right with God. Friends with Him again. If you're a Christian, celebrate the gift. Stop carrying the sin in your backpack and give it to the Lord. Live for Him. Surrender His will. Live a life of gratitude. This brings me to my final point. Christ has done a work in the world. Christ will come back again. So what do we do now? I guess we do what Paul does. Paul said, for the love of God controls us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Paul's basically saying, 
I've got to do this. I can't keep quiet. I'm so sure of it that it's moving my life in such a way that I have to come talk with you about it. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. Jesus before he left to go to heaven said all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in my name, in the name of my Father and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that I've said. He's given us this ministry. He's entrusted it. He's appointed it. He's assigned it. Paul goes as far as to say, therefore we are ambassadors for God, as though God was making his appeal through us. I'm scratching my head going, God, I don't think this is a good idea. I'm going to screw it up. It's, it's too big a message. What if people don't listen to me? Here's why he's assigned it to us. You ready? Number one, because you have a new heart. If you're a Christian. A heart of love. You're the only ones that have truly seen unconditional love in its fullness. Every love in some way, shape, or form is conditioned except for Christ. He's given us a new heart, a heart of love. And only love can change the world. It was Moses that gave the Israelites 613 commandments to follow. It was David who reduced it to 11. Isaiah reduced them to 6 in his opening chapter. Micah in his 6th chapter narrowed them down to 3. But Jesus really reduced it down to 1, didn't he? 2 that are 1. To love God with all your heart. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. To love God is to love the things that he loved. And God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God's given you a new heart. And God has given us new eyes to see. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Though we once regarded Christ that way, we're the only ones that can see because the blinders have been taken off. Men, we must look at women differently. Women, we must look, not we, you must look at men differently. We must look at cultures differently. We can look past all that to people as they really are. Did Jesus not say, can a blind man lead a blind man? Won't they both fall into the pit? Jesus has given us eyes to see people for who they really are. To speak words of love in the face of hate. He's given us a new title. Sons and daughters of God. You'll make your son or daughter an ambassador because they know you and they know your heart. And we are inheritors of the kingdom of God. And so he implores people and seeks to persuade them. I was reading in my son, my oldest our oldest son, Mark Rodriguez, who's gone on to be with the Lord. And uh, one of the things he did before he passed was he went down to Nicaragua. And um, he was um, 
going down there. And he was saying in his journal, what, what do I have to give to these people? I don't speak their language well. I don't share the same context of their life. And God responds in his journal. He says, it may look like this place is hopeless, but I sent you, didn't I? Mark went down there and he realized the one thing that he can do is he can love. And love is a universal language. It's the native language of Christ. And through a relationship of love, he can speak. Where's God sending you? Your office. Your neighborhood. The workout club. Maybe Charlottesville, Virginia. Maybe Houston, I don't know. But the beauty of it is that when we have experienced true reconciliation, we can bring reconciliation. Not to the world, but to people one by one as God calls them. And we don't know who they are. We just know that God calls us to go. Do you know the love of Christ? Have you repented of yourself? Are you living in the freedom and forgiveness that only Christ can give? And are you going? It's my hope for myself that at the end, I will have been a good ambassador. I don't know if anyone will listen to the message. But that my life will have been a life of love. And that I will have preached the gospel. But I want to live in the freedom and forgiveness that comes from following Christ. My hope is that you would want that as well. I don't have anything else to say. Let's pray. Jesus, you were the exact antithesis of man. For you loved God with all you had and love him with all you have and you love your neighbor as yourself and you've given us a new heart and Lord you've given us a, a blank sheet even more than a blank sheet Lord you've made us righteous Lord help us to understand what that really means and Lord help us to have a love of heart for the, uh, a heart of love for those around us Lord to be agents and ambassadors of reconciliation. Use us, Lord. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.